0: Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a rad place to get cool, creative socks. Go to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host, Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This weekend, we're not going to be too ambitious, we're just going to explore the universe. So Rob, I have been playing so much No Man's Sky lately. I don't know if, if you're playing it or if you're reading about it, or you're up on the hype and all that good stuff.
1: Uh, I mean, obviously, I haven't been living under a rock, uh, <laughs> so I've heard more about No Man's Sky uh, than I would have chosen to, uh, sure. certainly. Um I will say this, I have long been suspicious of this game because I always sort of wondered, well, what are you actually going to do in No Man's Sky? Uh, Which I know makes me is a very unfashionable question uh, to ask (laughs) of a game like No Man's Sky. But now that it is out, and now that you've been exploring the galaxy uh, in No Man's Sky, I do kind of have to ask, what do you actually do in No Man's Sky?
0: Oh my god. So, you do a lot of crafting and a lot of walking around, looking Uh-oh. at cool things, and a lot of flying around for minutes at a time. Time, all sorts of time is happening. It is a really, really slow-paced game, and a really, really big game. And frankly, I'm going to say a controversial thing here. Are you ready? I think it, it. could have used less mechanical complexity. I think what? this could have been a pure-ass walking and flying spaceship simulator like a hundred percent I think the mining stuff which is fairly inoffensive um and the the sort of wrangling inventory stuff it just I don't think it adds a damn thing to the game I think it is a beautiful weird incredibly niche game that I really enjoy and really really like uh but it, it didn't need the appealing to the masses, you know, shit, survival shit, kind of on top of the the gorgeous, lonely, bizarre universe that Hello Games has made. And I think maybe I'm the only person on Earth who thinks this, and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> um, yeah, this this game, like, okay, so if you have been living under a rock, if you're No Man's Rock... Uh, it is a <laughs> galactic-scale exploration game where you fly around to different planets, you walk around on these planets, you you mine resources to make your spaceship better so you can fly further, you do things like learn about alien languages and alien cultures, although that's that's a fairly, um, that's sort of a higher-level thing. You don't really do much of that at the beginning, but uh, it is a thing you can do. You can kind of follow it a, a loose narrative thread, at least. Uh, But for the most part, you're you're walking around in weird-ass places looking at weird-ass creatures. And uh, I think that is fan-fucking-tastic. I love it. (laughs) I just wish it was more like Pokemon Snap than sort of like Survival Light, personally. But, uh, you know, that's just me. It's it's fantastic. I I love how niche it is. Honestly, what I don't understand is... The marketing for this game made it seem like, well, this big, giant, mainstream success kind of game, you know, like, oh, explore the universe, and and the hype for it was incredible and giant, and frankly, uh, I felt very suspicious of it as well, because I kind of was like, oh, God, you know. Um, so they made this giant universe where there are, you know, thousands and thousands of planets and stars, and it's procedurally generated, and so on and so forth. They made all this stuff... And then what? You know, it's just going to be like a f- crappy Minecraft simulator where you can't even build anything. Like, is is that kind of what's going on with it? Um, and I was very skeptical even in the first hour of playing it. I was not impressed. I, I was kind of like, look at this crappy inventory system, and and it's not really fun to just blast rocks and and take the crappy iron. You know, yeah. And it's not. I I don't think it's terribly impressive at first. But once you do actually kind of get into the groove with it and kind of see what uh, kind of what's actually really going on in the game like it's it's a loneliness simulator and that's fantastic
1: so for for me like the marketing push the, the press i was hearing about it what concerned me is that it sounded exactly like the game you're in love with uh which yeah. is like you walk around and you look at stuff and then you go to a different planet and you walk around and you look at more stuff and it's different, but really it's a lot alike. It's it's just, um, you know, it, it's, it's got different colors and the animals are sort of mixed and matched out of different animal parts, parts and shapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, ah, oh, boy, I don't know. Like, I, I sure hope there is more. Uh, like more stuff going on mechanically, or you know, like yeah. I don't know, like flying could be more challenging. I don't, I don't really know, uh, but I guess like my concern is, um, Danielle, is this game just not for me?
0: It might not be. I. I don't think you will like this game if you don't like walking simulators. There's that word again, you know, well, there's that name again anyway. Because yeah. uh, that's most of what this really is. You've, it's, it's really just a walking in pretty places simulator. It really is. And flying in pretty universes simulator. It is the most chilled out, relaxed, often frankly boring game experience. Um, and, and there's something to like about that, at least for me. I think it's wonderful because it actually gets at the sense of scale of space. It actually makes you feel in some way as if you are exploring space because a whole hell of a lot of space is empty and boring and not a whole lot is going on. Uh, so it makes things really exciting and really wonderful and, and feel incredible when you do find like a planet with a ton of dinosaur looking things that you can kind of feed and interact with and, and sort of play with in a way. Or if you can, if you see these sort of like a gorgeous vista with, you know, three planets sort of on the horizon and, you know, the little weather effects come in and and you just feel like, wow, where am I? What am I doing? This is amazing. Um, and the rest of it is, is boring as hell. And, uh, Yeah, that that feels right to me. That feels like an actual space exploration simulator than a cool adventures in space simulator. Uh, And I don't know. I am I I didn't think I was going to be on board, but I am. I am so on board. There's another part of this. And I think this is actually uh, pretty specific and valid to me as well. Uh, It is a perfect streaming game. This is a game for chilling out, talking about something, hanging out with friends, just chatting, just talking until something cool happens and then you have an oh my god moment and you shared that moment with whoever you're playing with, either on stream or in person. The night we got the game, actually, um, I had a good friend come over. She brought pizza. She met my puppy. She met my new kitten. And uh, we all hung out on the couch, animals and humans, and played this game and ate pizza and just... It was such an incredible experience. It was really like this kind of awesome, like, hey, this is a perfect thing to center our attention on while we talk about other stuff, which probably sounds like the most stoner thing I've ever said on a podcast. But yeah,
1: <laughs> there is a voice in my head that is closer to the person yelling, that's not a real game uh, <laughs> that I'd like to admit. Like, and sure. I, like you know, you have to, you sort of have to own these parts of yourself, right? Yes. Like, yes. I mean, I get where that impulse comes from. I understand, like, like I, I like, as you're describing this, it's like a series of checkboxes that sort of like <laughs> r- raise Rob's hackles, right? It's like, oh, you don't even do shit in this game, and like it's just kind of boring and vacant, but occasionally really cool. And I'm like, uh. Like sideshow Bob, right? Like it's just like, uh, um,
0: yeah.
1: And then, and then you're like, well, but it's also so perfect for streaming. Yep. And then I'm like, oh man, I have, like I think we've even talked about the show, like how streaming has this weird like, let's make games that require very little input so that the host can just interact with the audience. Um, and the show just goes on for hours and hours and hours, um, and it is that sort of experience of like a long drive through Ohio, right, on like the yeah. Turnpike on ninety, uh, where it's like, yep, it's a good time to, it's, it's a good game for sort of being alone with your thoughts uh, yeah. and just doing something vaguely mechanically demanding, but not really. Uh, so all this, all this is sort of going through my head. Yeah. But then at the same time. Like, there absolutely is a place and even a need for those experiences. It's just usually I don't go to games for it, right?
0: Sure, like, sure. I'm yeah.
1: like, Danielle, I don't know how you can waste your time time this <laughs> way. Meanwhile, I have watched a season of Arrow that I've already seen uh, in the space of, like, a week and a half. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's not, like... like it's it's fulfilling the same role, right? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, even if like I will I, like I'll yeah I'll defend Arrow, whatever. But the point <laughs> is, um, the way I'm consuming it is this very like ah, I just need this to be sort of present uh, yeah. in my thoughts while I do other things that aren't demanding.
0: This is fulfilling the same itch as we talked about this in a much earlier show. But I like to play Forza, and I like to play Forza while I. You know, I I played a ton of it when I was studying in my EMT class. Like I would put on the sort of read out loud chapter podcast and I would zone out and play Forza. And like I was learning while I was doing that. So that felt like a good thing. Most of the time I've, in fact, all of the time that I've actually been playing No Man's Sky, I've been either physically with another person in the room watching on the couch or good mutual friend Maddie Bryce was actually over and we were playing and just sort of watching and kind of commenting. Or my puppy will be on my lap and I'll be sort of spending time with him, petting him and, and that sort of thing. Or I'll be streaming. Like it's, it's very much a, an incredibly lonely experience that is a wonderful experience when shared with another being. Which, again, sounds like a super stoner thing to say, but I don't know, this game is is scratching those itches for me. Um, I do have criticisms of the game, for sure. As I said before, I don't think it needed the mining. I don't think it needed that at all. Like, it's it's just kind of a thing for you to do. It feels like busy work. Um, whereas, I, I think it actually would have been stronger as like a pure walking simulator, or... And here's my other suggestion, in case uh, you know you want to make a No Man's Sky like, but with (laughs) other elements to it. uh, It is filling, it is scratching a lot of the Mass Effect itches, minus the character interaction. Now, if we had richer character interaction, I know, I know, I'm just saying. Like, it looks like incredible Mass Effect planets, like actually exploring cool Mass Effect planets. It feels like doing that. Now, if you had cool companions that you could maybe date or whatever, that would be amazing. And that would be the coolest fucking game ever. If you were with Liara and you could have awesome space sex with Liara on every single planet in the galaxy, that's a game I can get behind hundred percent. Or, and here's my other suggestion, if you're making a No Man's Sky alike, make it Pokemon Snap. Make it literally find the weirdest creatures and take the prettiest pictures of them. Or, or that game, it was called Africa, I think, on the PS3. It was like a PS3 launch game uh, where it was just a photo safari. There are so many weird critters in this game that are bizarre looking and funky looking, and they're in so many weird landscapes that I can imagine it would be incredibly cool to make an algorithm based on like, oh, can you get, you know, three planets in this shot? Can you get all these colors in this shot? That would be extremely cool. I think those are mechanics that would work so much better with this you know, sort of bizarre, massive galactic scale thing than mining and crafting shit and dealing with an annoying interface. So with that said, I still enjoy the game that is here. I appreciate the game that is here. Um, I'm pretty sure other devs are going to basically use this to make, you know, probably like open world games or, you know, not not to this scale necessarily, but something along these lines, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to see whatever Batman Arkham Galaxy or, or some shit is going to be, you know, the next It'll thing. It'll probably
1: be the Batman Incorporated universe, but.
0: Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs>
1: um, So let's talk about that game that is there then. I feel like there's no shortage of of games that are like walk around, look at some stuff. I'm curious why this one resonates so much with you.
0: Well, it's partially because it's absolutely gorgeous, and there there is something to that infinity. There is a sexiness. Let's let's talk about
1: that. uh, Yeah, of course, because it has this really distinctive uh, aesthetic, right? Like it's. Um, to, in some ways it looks like vaguely retro future, but with a color palette that you don't find in like in traditional like retrofuturist art.
0: very much so. It, like incredibly high contrast, almost blown out in some places like yeah. incredibly saturated colors uh, but was still still clean though like it still has a very clean look to it. Um, and and it's it's so incredibly beautiful. I'm on a planet right now. Uh, it's like an icy planet um you can't be outside for too long without of course needing to warm up but it has all of these weird critters it has all these dinosaur looking things and you know dinosaurs with chicken legs and dinosaurs with i i i don't know how else to say it but it looks like there's a creature that has giant purple testicles for a head that's what it looks like that's just how it is um, and all this other weird stuff. And there's also like three planets sort of in the background. So, so every sort of vista you go over, you see these, these like three beautiful planets in the background, like in the, in the sky itself. And it has all this weird vegetation it has this sort of like yellow and orange and sort of, you know, autumn colors, uh, vegetation, even though it's this sort of icy world. Uh, and it's just so incredibly beautiful and the sound design is 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 incredible. Like it's really really good at making you feel like you're getting lost in really weird alien worlds that are kind of not right out of Star Trek, but yeah, like like you were saying, more out of a retro futuristic sort of poster or something.
1: Obviously, you can sort of look at videos and screenshots of of the game and get a sense for what it looks like. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about like the soundscape, and and <sighs> I do love I yeah. I do love a good soundscape.
0: Oh, it's incredible.
1: Uh, what's, so what's 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 the what's going on with the audio? Like, why is it like? Again, like space is something that you know we we've had so many games covering covering this ground. Um, what makes uh, sort of the the sonic landscape of of No Man's Sky memorable for you?
0: Oh, it's just it just hits that that feeling those sort of like you know somewhat minimal but it, it's still very much present you know the synths the things you would associate with sort of like 80s sci-fi maybe even late 70s sci-fi and mm-hmm. 80s sci-fi those yes. really just strong crisp kind of synth sounds that that kind of meld together in this beautiful I, it's kind of hard to, to fully explain. I'm sure somebody has actually articulated this better, but it's like this feeling of flying, you know, this feeling of flight, this feeling of like rising above things uh, that, that the music and the sound effects all really, really contribute to. Um, and it's, and it's just beautiful. I could listen to this game all day long. In fact, i I think I might, I've captured enough footage that I could probably just play it in the background as I'm writing or something. It's just really, really uh, mellow for the most part. And, and, just hits all those 80s sci-fi kind of feelings. And, and that's something that I love personally. So I, I, they just nailed it in that respect. Um,
1: so, so you mentioned yeah. that a lot of the game is it, kind of dull. That it's, you know It's sort of a big empty. Um, which this is the part that's sort of new and novel to me because I think in all the gameplay videos we saw, you get the impression that space is a lot like the Boston area. You get in your <laughs> ship, you hop in, t- you you hop on the space turnpike, yeah. and you fly for like two minutes, and you're in a completely different city that looks weirdly like the place you just left. But <laughs> be that as it may, <laughs> sure, uh, like so, it it kind of like in those gameplay videos at least that we saw like you know a year ago, um, it it, it was kind of like you know it was No Man's Sky, uh, but everything was about as far apart as like Providence and Boston. Sure, um, I'm. Just kind of wondering, uh, was that sort of compressed for demo purposes? Like, is the is the moment-to-moment experience of No Man's Sky w- when you're not on those planets, is there a lot more of just sort of journeying the vastness of space, or do they cut a lot of that out?
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. You are journeying in the vastness of space plenty. Uh, you might spend 10 minutes between planets sometimes. And, yeah, you can kind of shoot at asteroids or whatever, but you can also kind of, like, sit there and... Watch the warp <laughs> watch the stars go by and warp drive. Um, it it feels like a very deliberate choice, uh, to make sure you're you're you spend a lot of time in that cockpit watching the stars go by. It, it feels like it wants to make you lonely and make you feel like you are in a very truly vast world. Not kind of like, you know, the Yeah, God, it feels like such a cliche, but the the sort of ocarina of time field where mm-hmm. everything's actually pretty small, even though it's supposed to be very big. No, it actually huge. It's, it's really giant. And until you get the, the hyperdrive or warp drive or whatever the hell it's called, um, you can kind of only go to certain places or else, well, I suppose you could go, you could spend the literally six hours with your, you know, with your warp drive on, but I don't know, uh, if you need to do that. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was compressed, I think in those earlier, uh, sort of demos of it it was very much compressed and and i understand that that makes sense yeah. uh, you spend a lot of a lot of your time in this game doing kind of nothing or just walking or just flying
1: so hearing you talk about this i actually sort of get nostalgic for elite dangerous uh which is a game i need to go back <laughs> to because it's, it's yeah. changed uh, a lot since i played it uh did you ever play that by the way
0: i did not i've okay. heard good things i've heard people extol its virtues so but th-
1: this is the weird thing i think you might dig that too
0: uh, nice, okay. Because
1: it's much more, um, I need to use this comparison advisably, <laughs> and I need to warn you not to get too excited, because it give you an okay. wrong idea. In some ways, flying around in Elite Dangerous feels a little bit like what it's like to be in the world of Alien. Oh my but god. But you're never going to encounter the Xenomorph. Like, uh, it's like literally that's like...
0: That's okay. You're, yeah. You're,
1: it's, it's like what the crew of the Nostromo thought they were doing, thought they were getting into. Uh, that's that's what elite dangerous basically is. I am uh, totally the, the cool
0: with part. that. I don't need an alien to be in my blue collar space universe. Like, oh yeah, I'm, like I'm good with that. You're flying
1: rugged ass <laughs> ships out nice. on the just ass crack of the universe, and a lot of that game, uh, even even a lot more of that game, even than than No Man's <laughs> Sky, uh, is is sort of uh, traversing just huge empty territory, uh, waiting wow. for absolutely nothing to happen. Um, except for occasionally it, it happens really fast and then it gets, like, gets really wild but yeah. um, like hearing this I'm, I'm starting to like get nostalgic for that uh, which was a game I also had a lot of the same objections to um, sure. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity uh, narrow-minded jerk because um, even <laughs> there I was like that had tons of mechanical complexity it was like literally Starship Simulator in a lot of ways but then I was like but yeah but what do you do? <laughs> like and there were a ton of things you could do but I just sort of felt like a, a lot of it was was just activity to no end uh basically i just need things to uh, i do love my narratives i lo- love a point right like if i think there's a reason privateer is like my favorite space game uh after tie yeah. fighter um but anyway uh i'm getting nostalgic for for elite dangerous a little bit hearing hearing you talk about this um and i would be I really to curious it. to see how you react to that because like again it's really immersive Um, there's, there's crazy things. Like, uh, I remember once I got in a firefight and, uh, it was not too far from a space station, but, uh, in the wake of the firefight, uh, in the middle of the firefight, actually, a bunch of like slugs hit my cockpit, like the, um, (laughs) like like high velocity, like, like solid shot, uh, hits the cockpit window. Usually these things don't have any real effect, but this time I'm like, I hear the strikes and it sounds different. And then I'm like, okay, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I see a little crack is on the window, and I'm like, hey, cool, it's just, it's just a decal, whatever. <laughs> In most games, it is a decal. Yeah. And then I hear that okay. slow, like, ice cracking on a lake Oh no. sound, and I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen here? Oh, my God. And the crack starts getting deeper and wider, and then suddenly just explosive decompression.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And the really amazing thing is, Immediately you don't hear shit. Like you hear a split second of the cockpit alarms all just going batshit. Yeah.
0: And then dead silence. Oh my god.
1: And the firefight's still going on outside, by the way. Like there's still like shots flying through and everything, but just everything is just like there is no more sound. Uh you, things are hitting the hole. You can you can sort of hear this vague, distant like thumping. Uh but it just everything's cut. Uh and now all you hear is your sort of your your sort of rebreather. Uh your your ear. Um <laughs> your, your your air mask basically, uh, and then like terrifying, terrifying. Like, oh, and here's the other amazing thing: the HUD is largely projected on the cockpit canopy, like it oh, would be in awesome. a real spaceship.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's
1: yeah. fucking gone. Like suddenly, all the things, all the prompts that like you rely on to fly and navigate your ship, they're all gone. Like you Man. are you are just flying like visually now. And it was so freaking terrifying. I think I, like I, I was near a space station, and I had to like visually navigate back to the spaceship space station. Uh, I think with a combination of like my onboard star charts because you bring up maps, um but then I'm pretty sure I was sort of just navigating in because I recognized some of the planetary formations in the star system.
0: Oh wow! And
1: I was like, okay, I can. I think I can get this back. Like, I think I literally couldn't. Like, I know I lost all my all my combat data. I know I couldn't see where people were anymore. Um, but I also don't think I could really get the um, the thing on the heads up display that just says like fly here. I think that was gone too. So I just sort of had to fly fly in, and I had to do it uh, before the ten minute timer on my air supply ran out. Oh, man. Um, it was. Insanely intense. And it was oh just one God. of those weird yeah. moments where it was like, okay, so now I guess, I guess this is what you do, right? Like, you go into space and like crazy stuff happens. And you have these amazing memories. And what makes them amazing is that most of the time the game isn't this. Most of the time the game is really sedate and really boring. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it makes these moments, these moments where it's like, I was out in space and I nearly died, man. I nearly yeah. died. Uh, that, that makes it all worth it.
0: Oh God, that's incredible! Okay, I need to play that. Is there? There's got to be a way. I can, Danielle in 2016 could play this game. I'm assuming it's on Steam or GOG. Yeah, I think, or something. I, think okay. I think they put
1: it on Steam. Okay, uh, right. I think you get it on Steam. Uh, I highly recommend. Um, look, like if you don't already have like a flight stick, um, I might look up a friend and, and okay. see if you can see if you can get one. It's it's fun to play with. Uh, you won't. I don't think that using a mouse will hurt you, but. If like I just feel insanely in the in the moment when I've got the uh, the flight stick and the throttle, um, especially because like my yeah. flight stick and throttle have enough switches and toggles on them that I can basically do everything without ever touching a keyboard.
0: Okay, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, so like when when you are like in the heat of battle and you're just like. You know, hitting switches to like arm weapons and like release cargo and all this stuff. It just it yeah. feels like I'm really doing it. I'm really here.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. I'm gonna need to do that for sure. I uh
1: Oh, so yeah. Do the animals ever try to kill you in No Man's Sky? Um I'm really like, yes. I'm, like basically yes, Will they things do. try to kill you and yes. will you get to fight them?
0: Yes, it will you be can a good fight. You can totally fight things. I have been staying almost completely away from that. But yeah, there's an entire tech tree upgrade for your little mining gun. It's what you also use. There's like grenades for it. There's all this shit that I haven't even bothered with. But yes, you can fight things. And if you do too much mining, there are these little sentry bots who come over and harass you and hit you with lasers. And uh, in my first planet, there were these really creepy spider creatures that were eating my face. Uh, They kept chasing me around the planet and uh, trying to kill me. I totally died to one of those at one point. So, yeah, I mean, like there's combat. There's space combat, too. But honestly, God, I just uh, I just I just want my sky. I just want to explore my sky. I don't want these crappy space pirates or whatever they are (laughs) at all. Oh, my God. Well,
1: if one did want space pirates, they're there to fight.
0: They're there to fight. You can fight them. You can shoot them with your lasers. You can shoot things. You can learn alien languages. You can go to alien artifacts and learn all about it. But you can shoot
1: things. But you can totally
0: shoot things. Yes, you can. Yes, you sure can. And you can upgrade your gun, too. It's a video game.
1: Oh, man. Sweet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh, I just want Pokemon Snap in this game, but it's okay. I'll, I'll live for now, I guess. Somebody will make that mod one day when it's on PC, I'm sure. So it'll be cool. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably enough No Man's Sky for now, as if there's ever enough No Man's Sky. So I think it's time for us to go to our weekend correspondence. But first, a word from our sponsor. Rob, I don't know if you know this, but I am like really, really into socks.
1: More than just wearing them.
0: Oh, yeah. Like as a runner and just a person with like a really, shall we say relaxed sense of fashion, socks are really seriously my thing. Uh, So I want to tell you about Bombas.
1: Bombas are socks? They don't sound like socks.
0: They sell socks. They have tons of rad colors and cuts from the more conservative, you know, sort of like crew socks, white socks, to the neon colors that go with my, you know, very Splatoon-inspired outfits. Uh, Plus, they donate a pair to a homeless shelter for every pair purchased.
1: Okay, I can get on board with that.
0: So if you go to getbombas.com slash weekend, you get 20% off your first order.
1: Okay, getbombas.com slash weekend. We can make that work.
0: Our first email comes in from Adrian. Uh, Adrian is also from Rugby England. Adrian writes, Dear R&D, I'm not a hacker, but I am a programmer. Currently a writer of Subway Station Operators Console, a computer program that lets someone push buttons on a screen to control cameras, announce messages, lock doors, and so on. Just the sort of computer you'd hack into in all those infiltration games. What most hacking games imply is that there's some common way of talking to all these things that you can understand, that you can command a camera to look up, and it will look up. Maybe someday there will be, but right now, underneath it all, it's all basically completely different. A big part of the job is getting a bunch of equipment that was previously controlled by several different computers to be wrangled together by my single master program. Usually there's a defined interface to be used, but in the worst cases, at some backwater stations, there's crufty equipment that still has to be used, although there's no longer any written interface guides or manuals. That's where my colleague Mel comes in. She's a real hacker in the proper computer sense. She will use the old equipment, operating it while spying on the messages it sent backwards and forwards, all in order to detect and eventually understand its particular language. And then she'll write some translation code and give it to me so I can send camera look up, and her translator will spit out the right string of numbers to send to the crufty camera and make it do what I asked. It's obvious why games don't ask you to do what Mel does. It's really hard, and it takes days, if not weeks, of diligent effort. And it's not that exciting, even for Mel, alas. Some convenient mythical AI doing the job in a blink of an eye It's. All that's left is press 1 to hack camera, it's probably more fun, and we'd buy a copy right away. My description wasn't too off-putting. The only game I've played that approaches anything like this is TIS-100, Zachtronics' Assembly Language Programming Puzzle Game. It's all about understanding an esoteric computer language and odd equipment. More fun than the real thing, though it also gets really, really hard, and I'm not sure if anyone who's not a programmer is likely to get very far. Cheers, Adrian. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> that is really, really useful, actually. Yes. Uh, that is. I mean, let's be clear. Like, Adrian just exploded a lot of my dreams. Uh, and he <laughs> and his pal Mal just, like, you know, stomped all over them. Uh, but, of course, this is how the world works. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, my partner uh, is a scientist. And I think, like, a lot of people in her field had to learn Fortran. Um, which I think it's Fortran uh, which is apparently like a really archaic uh, like programming language Uh, but sadly there's enough equipment that uses it that's still like floating around that basically like in a lot of her sector of the sciences uh, a lot of people have to be versed in a 35 year old programming language uh, in order to do their jobs because that stuff is still floating around and uh, in the in, in the shoestring world of of uh, academia, um, wow, nothing ever gets thrown out uh, if it can still be used.
0: <laughs> sure, that makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate this email because I, in my complete baby way, have encountered a little tiny bit of this recently. I started working on a tiny new little. Game project, and I started using a really, really cool tool, actually called uh, Yarn Spinner, uh, which is what the folks at, uh, uh the folks who are making Night in the Woods are using to sort of integrate dialogue into their game. And it's basically, if you know anything about the Twine language, it basically uses a thing called Yarn, which is like twine, and it, it makes it very easy to kind of uh, set variables and and do really cool things just in the dialogue itself when you're writing it. And uh, in the implementation in Unity for it, uh, I am <laughs> trying to understand somebody else's code for kind of the first time, and it's beautiful. It's well written. It's well documented. It, it's you know, there's everything is commented out. It could not be clearer. I'm just a baby who's just learning C sharp, and if I haven't literally written the you know every single function and where all the variables are, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm kind of like, oh. So this is <laughs> this is why programmers are paid good money. They have to understand all of this stuff all the time.
1: This is something I would love to see a game touch on as well, which is um the fact that d- depending on depending on who the programmer was or the programmers were, uh you'll find uh commented code. Yeah. And stuff like that. And occasionally you'll find like Things that are way beyond just a helpful annotation, and begin to like unpack the purpose or thinking behind the entire project or something. Yeah, uh, there's this great moment in um, uh, Darius Kazemi's book uh, on the making of *Jagged Alliance too. Uh, I, I wrote the foreword for it, uh, but uh, it's it's a really it's a really good book uh, and well well worth a look. But there's this point in in the book that he, he evokes really really well. Uh, which is that a lot of like it's it's an old game a lot of a lot of the information about it has been lost, uh and a lot of people who worked on it uh, are either like impossible to find or let's face it they don't remember right sure, it's been sure. it's it's been like twenty <laughs> years uh they just they don't remember what they're thinking that much so there's this moment where um Darius sort of describes this <laughs> describes this moment as he's sort of digging into the uh into the code uh where he basically uncovers the entire design doc in a comment uh, wow. about the way the strategic AI is supposed to function.
0: Wow.
1: And so what begins is the, this comment about like, okay, so here's the effect we want the, st- the, the strategic AI to have uh, and here's how it should behave. And then to further explain that it basically turns into an unpacking of the entire game from nose to tail. Wow. Um, and what everything's trying to evoke. And it's this really exciting moment because like it's, you know, it's sort of the Rosetta Stone moment of of this project, where like the, the, these documents don't exist anymore. Nobody nobody laid it out uh, anywhere, and no, like it was it wasn't in the shoebox anywhere. Uh, it was in it was in the, it was in the code. Wow! And it's just this really really cool moment. And also, I think it that also is a cool thing because like I think maybe sometimes programming is imagined to be a much colder and um, less expressive medium than it is.
0: Yeah, and I think, I that's think
1: fair. stuff like that sort of explodes that myth, right? Oh, and like yeah. commented code, uh, sort of lets you like all good annotations and footnotes uh, sort of unpacks the thinking behind the thing you're you're interacting with.
0: It's kind of a beautiful thing uh, understanding somebody's mind when they're sort of doing this talking to machines stuff. That's the stuff of magic that we got all excited about yeah. in the hacking episode, I think. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so our next email comes from AJ. In a previous episode, you talked about ahistoricity in media, mm. particularly when it is when it significantly warps people's perceptions of the past. What do you guys think about the Hamilton musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which, if you're not aware, is a retelling of Alexander Hamilton's life, but with an almost entirely black and minority cast? It's using its inaccuracy to make a political statement, especially since most of the characters involved, George Washington, for example, are famous enough that the audience is uh, fully aware uh, that it's inaccurate.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. I have not seen Hamilton, but everything I've read about it tells me that it is an intelligently written, interesting commentary on, you know, colonialism and, and just how completely whitewashed a lot of history is. And so when you actually take out that whitewashing, when you colorize the whitewashing, so to speak, it's it's kind of a beautiful and transformative thing. Um, I think that's really, really really awesome in general as sort of a general rule to sort of like take something back and, and recreate it and do something different with it. I've been thinking a lot about our conversations about uh, historical accuracy lately. It's been sort of on my mind as I've done just everything sort of uh, lately. And I think uh, Hamilton is pretty much a perfect example of of using that, like using everybody's knowledge of the historical facts and, and twisting it around and saying something real and different with it.
1: One more thing. Now,
0: uh, so <laughs> Please, I, I, go on.
1: No, so, like, I really enjoy Hamilton. Like, I, I absolutely adore it. Whenever something like this catches on this much, I also tend to become a little bit suspicious. I do worry a little bit that, in a weird way, from its original intent, it has once again sort of been co-opted.
0: It got um, too popular, Rob. Every time something gets too popular. No.
1: Yeah.
0: So hear me out. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I actually, that sounded way more facetious than I actually meant it to sound. Like, that's kind of what happened a little bit. Well,
1: right. Like, because it's sort of this, it's this thing where it does sort of try to make American history, which has always sort of been framed as like history of extraordinary white men. Yeah. And it sort of takes that. And says, no, we're going to make this truly American history for everyone. Uh, including people who didn't look like the wasps who founded the country, basically. Um, which, is, which is cool. Uh, but then in the way this has been celebrated and seized upon. It also sort of feels like, in a weird way it allows the type of people who go to Broadway shows and sort of the, the mainstream like dominant, like white culture in some ways to feel better about itself because it also sort of ends up confirming that, no, this is American history and it's for everyone. It's this great story. And so you don't have to feel bad about it and you can celebrate this history and it's cool because it's for everyone. when manuel Miranda says so. Yeah. yeah. And that, Concerns me a, a little bit um, because I think in the way it, in the way it has become something that everyone feels very good about, um, it maybe obscures the pain and alienation that gives rise to a thing like Hamilton. Yeah, uh, and that is something that I think about a lot with with regard to that. That said, it's amazing. It's 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 really really cool. It's it's a really cool idea. Uh, I think it's going to be hilarious the fact that a lot of now a lot of these really uh, major figures in the in the history of the early republic uh, are now going to be remembered uh, as these performers basically yeah. oh, like, yeah. I mean like <laughs> Hamilton is all like like when when Hamilton when you're reading a book about Hamilton and, and like he's he's speaking or writing, I think the odds are very good it's going to be Lin Manuel Miranda's voice uh, that that you hear, right? Yeah. Aaron Burr is for sure Leslie Odom <laughs> from this point forward, um, <laughs> yeah. and which actually is probably the best thing that could happen to Aaron Burr. Uh, look up a picture of Aaron Burr. Uh, he like he got he got some major upgrades <laughs> thanks to this. <laughs> yeah, he got yeah. like, and he's made a much more sympathetic figure. But uh, no, it's it, it's really cool. Um, I just it, it's so hard for a thing to remain. It's so hard for for a work to be celebrated and retain some of its like outsiderishness that makes yeah. it powerful in the first place. Um, yeah, this I'm, is
0: this is definitely a problem with like. It, no matter how wonderful a work of art is and it reflects a reality or reflects some kind of meditation on reality, it's never going to be divorced from the shitty parts of reality as well. Like it's always going to be kind of co-opted back in and become kind of something else. And yeah, there's, there's no divorcing life from that particular work of art.
1: Just this other thing I wanted to say, cause it's just such a good video is, um, Oh my God. Like the are House- you,
0: are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Oh, sorry. Probably sorry. Not. Go ahead. Go Probably ahead. Because I literally pulled up a particular music video while we're talking. Is it right the one now. from the
1: White House? Is it the one, the poetry, uh, the celebration of poetry? Ah, uh, no, it's not. Uh, thing? Okay, no. Okay, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, uh, no. So like, basically, I I didn't listen to Hamilton for ages and ages because I was like this. Like, first of all, I was I was like. Maybe and maybe at some point I'll get I'll somehow get tickets and I don't want to spoil it or something. And then I was yeah. like, I'm not getting tickets, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like that's never gonna happen. Uh, so I just I listened to it and I immediately became obsessed. Um, and I was looking up stuff about the, the roots of the project and I came across this video of uh, Lin Manuel Miranda at this like White House uh, poetry dinner uh, presentation nice. thing. This is like three four years ago, uh, maybe longer. And he tries to explain that he's working on this, like, spoken word uh, album about uh, Alexander Hamilton. Nice. And everyone starts laughing. And he, like, tries, he's like, no, it's serious and everything. <laughs> they don't yeah. believe him. And so he starts singing the opening number. And what's amazing, what I love about this video is that nobody knows Hamilton's going to be a thing and so you get this like amazing like it's a completely naive reaction to the concept of Hamilton it's this room full of Washington politicians and and let's face it like rich people um and they keep thinking it's like um uh like they think it's a, they think it's a gag right like uh who's that who's that guy who used to sing political uh political songs humor songs like Tom Lehrer oh god or, or something like that um they think it's something like that. And so they keep sort of chuckling at the opening number, which is not really a joke uh, and gets pretty heavy uh, in places. And they never really stop. Like, you know, they, they, they cheer and they applaud. But what's, what's amazing is that a lot of them from beginning to the end still don't really know what this guy is doing. Yeah. Um, and the really cool thing is like that uh, Miranda, does, like he doesn't let it shake him. Right? He just sort of like presses through it and like just goes at it with conviction. And it's just this really, it's this really cool video because, like, within a couple years, nobody would have laughed because everybody would have been told by, you know, theater critic advance notices and everything that this was like the hot new cultural experience. Yeah. Like, they would have been primed for it.
0: Take but, this seriously. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. But when they were just confronted with it, they were like, wait, like, A rap about Alexander Hamilton? Like, where's the (laughs) punchline?
0: There's a music video that I just pulled up, and I will send it to you, and I will put it in the show notes and all that good stuff. It's a Dizzy Rascal video where, this is from a few years ago, 2013, I think, um, and because it's a music video, I feel like it gets away with this and maybe makes a point that is, is not quite as diluted by the whole cultural critics and, you know, oh, the theater critics told you this was important and now we're going to have an award ceremony and we're going to clap and all the white people will clap and feel good about things. Um, it's this music video where it's Dizzy Rascal and, um, mostly black. Actors And they are, they are dressed up in, like, period costume from, like, the 1700s in, in sort of what royalty looked like in, like, colonial America or, or you know, sort of like the, the British colonies in the Caribbean and that sort of thing. And they're, like, drinking wine and they're partying and they all have powdered wigs and, and all this stuff. And the images themselves are so powerful and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a playful song. But it's also very, very kind of powerful because the images themselves are, are kind of what, you know, would be used later on in Hamilton, like mostly black people in these kind of outfits playing these sort of large roles in the world. And I almost wonder that being a music video, being something that is kind of thought of as, as a little more fun or even thought of as being trivial or something, it kind of can get away with that. It can kind of put that message through without having that, I don't know, that, that kind of secondary response that we've just been talking about for a while. There's something to that. There's something to, to art forms that are, that are less elevated in the mind of the public, you know, and when I say that, I, I hope the sarcasm is, is coming through, but I, I wonder if you can, you can say more with less sometimes. In those contexts.
1: Well, I also especially think because like, you know, film is like a, a very, it's, it's a visual medium. Uh, yeah. But in most places we encounter it, it's also about plot and, and story and such. But like I think in music videos, you can just sort of go for the image.
0: Yes, uh, much and more that's very much what they do. It's even, it, it's sort of, the images themselves are almost like GIFs. Like they're, yeah. they're you know, a few seconds of sort of repeating the action and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's very much meant to be like, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. Like, get this through your head. Look at what's happening here. It's it's really really cool, and and something I just sort of thought of as we we're chatting about this.
1: No, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of like the formation video, right? Oh like, yes, yeah. It yes, became it yes. was full of memes instantly, but like it's also full of really like stark and unsettling and like vaguely provocative image imagery. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, if 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 you just like watched it on mute and you had no idea who Beyonce was. Um there's a lot of like loaded contradictory imagery uh yes. in there that uh is very powerful because it doesn't have to be explained. It's just look at this thing and then it's gone. Yeah.
0: yeah. Don't count music videos out. they that's where the real art is happening. <laughs> Enough dizzy rascal. The next email comes in from Rick, in Devonshire. Devonshire, I think. UK. Sorry, yeah. I don't yeah. always get my shears correct, but I'll I'll try. Uh hi Danielle and Rob. I just got out of a screening of Jason Bourne, and two of your conversations immediately sprung to mind. Firstly, the shonky hacking from last week. There was some real hack the mainframe and defrag the modem level stuff going on in here. I liked the film a lot, though not quite as much as the original three, so I was willing to look past those elements. Second, and more interestingly, a conversation Rob had on an episode of 3MA, maybe the Satellite Rain one, about the importance of physicality and geographical knowledge to cyberpunk works. That conversation jumped in my mind right at the beginning of the scenes in Athens, and I couldn't help seeing the rest of the film with that in mind. William Gibson explored modernity in a post cyberpunk context in some of his later works, and I wondered if either of you aficionados had any thoughts on this reading of the Newborn film. Is Jason Bourne a new post cyberpunk hero for our connected time? Rick from Devonshire. I have not yet seen the Newborn movie. uh, I'm ashamed to say. What's
1: that? No, you're better for it.
0: I'm better for it. It
1: doesn't need to be seen. Uh, there, <laughs> there are three Jason Bourne movies. Sure. Uh sure. None of them called Jason Bourne. <laughs> and uh, then there's this weird uh, and terrible spinoff. I see. Um, this weird
0: and terrible post cyberpunk spinoff, potentially. It seems like. Uh so is he? Is
1: he cyberpunk? Um, I think it has to get disqualified a little bit because i think it's really cyberpunk to be cyberpunk you can't just punch your way out of the problem like yes you can't like you're not allowed to be cyberpunk but then you just beat the shit out of something really hard and (laughs) the problem goes away Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of what happens here um in some ways they're kind of i think they're kind of weirdly anti-cyberpunk because ultimately they're about the triumph of like individual physical prowess and will uh, over a connected surveillance state. Sure. That said, uh, I, I think they use a lot of the same trappings, which is the the whole series like has this uh, paranoid uh, feel, and the latest movie has all the stuff about like the CIA trying to build um, a, a a Facebook equivalent so they can just spy <laughs> on everybody, uh, stuff like that. Um, but I think it's sort of like I think the new movie. Uh, just kind of suffers from um, some of the same problems that, like, the, the original Deus Ex Human Revolution suffered from, mm. uh, which which was the kind of... It has dumb things to say about modern society. It's, it's kind of dumb about it.
0: It has the cyber but not the punk, kind of. Yeah. That sort of thing. The
1: yeah. point about physical spaces, though, about, about uh, like, cities and, and geography, I, I do think um, that opening scene of, of the film, which is the best, like there's this There is this scene uh against this backdrop of riot, rioting in Greece where Jason Bourne's trying to basically escape an assassin in the middle of of these these riots uh, as they unfold and police barricades uh that's just it, the like the it almost worth the, worth the price of admission yeah um, <laughs> but the cool thing about it is this like I guess in some ways it is post cyberpunk because here uh, where I think a lot of cyberpunk stories uh, sort of are about the fantasy of like being at one with the city mm-hmm. um, of of sort of if you've mastered the local geography you'll 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 be okay because that that kind of knowledge uh, can never really like go out of date uh, here it's very much it feels like he's escaped and he thinks he's escaped, but then you see like the CIA command center. And they've still got him in the, in the web, right? Yeah. He's still basically um, a fly in a fly the web. And that is a really cool and unsettling thing that, you know, with this ground level chaos, and it seems like he's completely like lost himself in this warren of European streets. Um, <laughs> and then you cut to the CIA command center and they know exactly where he is. They know where he's going to be in 30 seconds and they know where, where to tell a sniper to set up. And it's it's a very chilling thing. Uh, it's very very cool. <laughs> All right, uh, our next email comes from Gabriel, and Gabriel writes: "Hello there, Weekenders. Going through the Idle Weekend archive, there was an episode where both of you expressed some serious anxiety about how much of your drives and goals could be attributed to human nature, and how much were a product of living in a capitalist society." Now, I am an anthropologist, and anthropology has always been extremely critical of the notion of human nature. In the 70s, an American anthropologist called Roy Wagner published a book called The Invention of Culture. It wasn't widely read at the time, but has grown in popularity since. The title is a bit deceptive. Though Wagner is is critical of the notion of culture, what he was really focused on is the process of invention of creation. He posits that every population, every society, segments the world into the given and the constructed. In Western societies, the given is called nature, the constructed is called culture. But indigenous populations all through the Americas, and especially in the Amazon, have the opposite view. The given is culture, the constructed is nature. Mm -hmm. So uh, a fish or a uh, tapir has the same culture we do, because culture is seen as the universal, but a different nature, because nature is seen as constructed. So the fish lives in his village inside the river, and they have a fish shaman, etc., but we cannot perceive it as such, because we are not fish, we have different natures, and every species is beholden to the perspective of its species. This is called indigenous perspectivism. Humanity is a point of view, not a species. The jaguar sees himself as human, and when he looks at us, he sees a deer. The deer sees himself as human, but when he looks at us, he sees a jaguar. Uh, So, long-winded email, sorry. But it's important to understand that there are almost no human universals. Capitalism has this neato trick of trying to convince, often through historical dramas, that everyone has the same accumulative motivations. Inside every Vietnamese, there's an American trying to get out, to quote Full Metal Jacket. Bizarrely, the only game I've ever played that actually resonates a little bit with my experience as an anthropologist has been Dwarf Fortress, exactly (laughs) because it is so random. Some Marxist authors recently have been writing that revolutionary violence must first be directed inward, towards oneself, to tear out what has been ingrained by the dominant ideology. But I tend to think it's inevitable, right? You live in a capitalist society... You are going to be a product, to some extent, of capitalism.
0: This is one of the best emails. God I've ever God damn! <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Um, not only is there a lot of uh, food for thought in that email, especially about perspective. Um, yep, I, I feel like we we all not we all okay. You have this Western view that we we have as products of Western culture. You you have this feeling of like, oh yes, of course. Uh, humans are competitive. Co- competition is a universal nature. It's a trait from nature. It's the way we act. So therefore, capitalism makes sense. And of course, that's constructed. I mean, it's <laughs> nothing is so simple. I, I, I will continually always think that our brains are just sort of running old software when it comes to uh, like <laughs> how we figure out the world. Like we're we're still running on on you know Cro Magnon man software basically, and we're still not quite there in terms of figuring out distribution of resources and all of the things that are actually kind of necessary for a better world and a better society. But this, this email blew my mind and thank you Gabriel for writing it.
1: I find this stuff, particularly this, this notion uh, that you you find among indigenous uh, American populations uh, really fascinating. This idea that um, the animals share culture with you, uh, but obviously because you're different species, that, that you can't that you can't perceive it uh, as such. Uh, that is a fascinating yeah. uh, inversion. It reminds me of um, something one of my classics professors was was sort of obsessed with, um, which was the uh, the Worfian hypothesis. Oh. And I'm gonna bastardize it terribly, so that's by all okay. means, send your uh, send your corrections in.
0: It'll be better uh, than that one time I <laughs> brain farted all <laughs> over Western that was philosophy. Some good shit.
1: <laughs> that was some good. That was some quality philosophy. So, uh, I don't know, uh, Kant and some stuff. Uh, anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, my classics professor was was sort of obsessed with the Warfian hypothesis, uh, which was this notion that, uh, language informs the thoughts you're even capable of having, Mm. uh, that, uh, the way a language is constructed is to some extent going to dictate what your culture even believes is possible, uh, the way your mind works. Um, and so just through tricks of, of however your language came together, uh, you'll have different ways of understanding and relating to the world and those will then flow into other things. You will approach problems differently. Uh you'll find some problems almost impossible to conceive of or address because you just don't really have like uh the sort of linguistic tool set uh to to, to sort of address them, or at least not uh not in the way that, that other cultures would. Um, which was was kind of a fascinating thing uh to, to sort of contemplate. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know sort of how well-regarded it is right now. Uh, I don't know how it's sort of stood the test of time. But, you know, among classicists, it was uh, sort of a really compelling thing because, like, you looked at the way Greeks and Romans addressed a very similar world. Their languages are completely different. And the way they structure their thoughts is completely different. Um, Yeah. And then that flows into forming completely different societies. And to a degree, you could always trace back, like, well, so why did, you know, why did the Romans sort of become this, uh, adopt this sort of Republican and ultimately sort of statist uh, form of government? Mm. And why were the Greeks uh, so completely ungovernable and unruly uh, and so resistant to, like, federation? And part of it is just like, you know, if you, if you sort of subscribe to that hypothesis, uh, was that the way they thought made it incapable for the greeks to sort of fall in line because the language itself encouraged endless balancing uh endless uh debate uh even within the structure of a sentence um latin didn't and (laughs) it created different ways of interacting with the world uh so i find that I, i find that kind of stuff fascinating because it's this it's your it's it's like you're trying to imagine something completely outside your experience right like if you could somehow step outside everything that has made you you, that there's some sort of universal experience out there that that or not not even that, but like, boy, I hate when you're forced to fall back on a Plato on the Plato King metaphor because it really <laughs> it's just okay. feels like sometimes an it's useful. Defeat. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'm but sorry. it just feels like a look. I went to college and all I got out of it was this shitty analogy.
0: <laughs> well, then maybe there was yeah. Kant in there. yeah. Don't feel yeah like
1: exactly. It. No, but no, it's it, it's like this whole like you know you hear arguments like this and it's it's it makes you think like okay so if i could just sort of st- like if i could just get behind like this perspective i've had and sort of see what's casting the shadows on the wall
0: yeah.
1: um then i'd understand something about about nature uh about reality and i could i could think of different ways of conceiving uh of the world um that said i like i i don't quite get from. I have my suspicions of capitalist culture. I have a lot of a lot of suspicions about it. <laughs> uh, but at the same yeah. time, like I don't quite get from. Well, let me tell you about the indigenous populations <laughs> throughout the Americas. To yeah, capitalism is construction uh, that that has been for, forced on all of us and has no has no valid roots in 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 reality. Uh, that that's that's the part where I'm like, oh, I don't know, man that that's that's kind of the leap for me because also to an extent culture is um culture and history is 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 to a degree um a series of unplanned experiments uh and and society, you know societies evolve based on 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 what has worked for them uh the question is i i think is is sort of how we define success in some ways
0: um yeah the part for me that's a difficult leap is it has to do with you know distribution of resources because that that to me feels like the most this, this is one of the most core things about survival right is having the things you need for life and so on and so forth and the mm-hmm. way those are distributed in our society is not fair and it's not equitable but um you can see and again i'm, I'm trying to say word this very carefully but uh, this is coming from a western brain so you know whatever um, but you can see the lineage from animals And how they distribute resources to the way we evolved to distribute resources differently, basically, and use tools to do that sort of thing and to, you know, so on and so forth and make sure there was food for everybody. Everybody depends on all those things. It does depend on the animal. And that's and that's why it's there's almost like a clear line for like, okay our ape ancestors do X, Y, and Z that we also kind of do today. And we can see that sort of direct line. And that's why the the capitalist idea becomes somewhat, I I hesitate to say logical because again, like I can't see outside of myself. So I don't want to say this is the only logical way to think, but you can see that through line, at least, you know, from this perspective. And that does become difficult. But again, it's, I still think it's, it's like a failing of our, brains in our own evolution to kind of catch up with the world we've created more than anything. It feels like, yeah, we're we're running the old software, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I do, I do truly love, um, you said the Warfian hypothesis yeah. is the proper term?
1: I want to say that was it, yeah.
0: Uh, I I really love that idea because, it, I mean, it makes all kinds of sense, even in terms of, you know, human developmental psychology. Like, our, our brains develop when we learn language. Our brains are stunted when they don't learn language. It makes all the sense in the world that the ability to communicate and, and form thoughts is tied so directly to the type of language that you learn. So all of this is to say this shit is fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I this, this email reminds me of... Um... I remember when I was when I was uh studying uh international relations and being kind of a I, I don't know I I just gotten my intro level stuff uh and so I was all up to speed on my my uh liberalism and my realism and neoliberalism and all this stuff. <laughs> sure. Um and then there was at some point someone was like, "Well, we also need to discuss like the, the we we finally hit the section on like uh, feminist conception of mm-hmm. of international relations." And I was like, "Oh come on, like <laughs> like I get like the fe- like the the value of feminist critique in like lit and film and everything, but uh, this seems like a stretch. Like this is politics among nations type stuff. Like come on, like w- like what this is kind of where the men talk. Yeah, no, I think it was more like." I'm not, like, I felt like it was, an, like, initially I was like, this is an injection of, of, of gender studies into a field that I'm not sure that the, the, those gender assumptions are, are necessarily there. Um, and then my professor was like, okay, well, let me ask you this. Hobbes says that if, you know, we return to the state of nature, immediately it just turns into this dog-eat-dog, Mad Max, like, people just cutting each other's throat for anything. Everybody, like, is, you know, has to sleep with a knife under their pillow or something <laughs> because, like, someone's gonna come and, like, take your shit and, you know, like, kill kill your family uh, and yeah. burn your house down. Or just murder you and take your house. And that's just how society is. And it's fear of that that motivates everything that follows, including... Uh, the rise of the nation state, and then uh, basically the 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 state's monopoly on force. And I was like, yeah, okay. And my professor was like, "Isn't that kind of an insane and fucked up set of assumptions to base a <laughs> philosophy <up> of <from>? of?" <laughs> and like, isn't that a uniquely like hyper masculine conception of the world? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: yeah and then, then immediately i was converted i was like okay i guess yeah all right i need to i need to get with that feminist critique of <laughs> international relations uh just just give it here nice. um so yeah um uh, i i i find this stuff uh really really interesting um yeah it's uh, it's 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 fascinating it's fascinating stuff to uh to consider i will say my uh my classics professor um I think his father was a, an anthropologist or a linguist or, or oh, a combination nice. of the two. Very good. Uh, but among American tribes, he also described, uh, there's was, there was one pocket uh, where there was a tribe that had no, like literally no sense of direction, no words for direction. Wow. Because it was such a localized tribe uh, in the Andes that lived on one side of the mountain, How- the north, south, east, west. None of that mattered. They had two words. They had uphill and downhill. And that was that was direction. Wow! Like that, those were the cardinal directions. Is something is something up or is something down? Uh, and I was like,
0: "What? That's crazy! That's amazing! Yeah, yeah." <laughs> my mind is a little bit blown right now, uh, which means I think it's time for us to go to our weekend projects. Rob, is there anything else blowing your mind lately?
1: Okay, uh, no, but I can I can tell you what <laughs> I tell you what my maybe you're uh,
0: enjoying something. <laughs>
1: my most recent weekend project. Okay. Uh, was my housemate from Boston came and visited. Good. I had a great time here in Los Angeles, but we also went to the um, the Ace Theater, Alamo Drafthouse. We're putting on a Star Wars marathon. Excellent. And uh, it was of the 1997 um, pre-special editions. <laughs> uh, so it had some of the stuff uh, from the special editions, but it wasn't completely. Uh, I don't think they're completely the version that exists on the DVDs right now. Okay excellent Two, there's, there's a few things um one i can't believe i ever thought that cg bullshit was like a good and valuable addition to the movies i remember in 97 i was like oh it yeah. looks so much more awesome now no one does
0: stormtroopers
1: on yeah. uh, writing those fucking things and oh. it makes no sense because like it's pretty established the empire is all super technological so why the hell are stormtroopers writing Local the, lizards. Yeah, uh, yeah, it just doesn't. It just makes no sense, and it, it's all this herky jerky CG garbage uh, that looks looks really terrible. Um, and so, like those were bad additions. What's, what's kind of heartening is the changes in Empire Strikes Back are so few and far between. Oh, um, definitely. Because it's that just the
0: Wampa perfect. stuff, basically. Right at the very beginning, I, yeah, think, I that's think the Wampa about thing
1: it. is made yeah. much more graphic um probably stupidly so because i think in the original cut i think the it was mostly audio um yeah like something bad was coming out of the ice cave and not seeing it made it worse uh, yeah cool. for sure for sure and then i think they had some extra backdrops uh in the cloud city stuff but by and large it's, it's the same film yeah uh and then i bailed before jedi because oh you know, that's you so smart it is yeah. it is you don't need <laughs> you don't need six hours of star star wars in a day
0: well you watch the second best and then the best Right, that's movie, and and, and, that's great. Yeah,
1: and that's the thing is like Empire is basically perfect.
0: Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so good.
1: But the thing that really jumped out at me uh, this time around was how good the set design is.
0: Oh yeah! Throughout
1: that movie, like it blows the doors off Star Wars, and it's and nothing in the prequels ever holds a candle to it because it's really that stuff is really poorly imagined. Oh yeah! Um, But in in Empire, like Echo Base on Hoth, feels so lived in and cold and sort of under construction and terrible, Uh, but then. Like, you know, Ir- Irvin Kirshner, you know, justly gets gets a lot of credit uh, for for the direction in, in that film. But so much of the way that film looks um, and yeah. the things that make it incredible in the end is really set design. Oh, for like, sure.
0: It's so layered and, oh and my God. Oh, like, intricate. You just want to snuggle in and hang out. You know, it's, it's really it's really something special. The,
1: yeah, the, the orange lighting below the, the metal gridwork in Cloud City, <sighs> that shot where like um, Vader is standing at the top of the steps against that like deep blue background with, the, sm- with, the, with the, the smoke sort of swirling around him, and everything's lit from below in this like lurid red light. Um, it just it all looks so fantastic, and so much of that is just, again, this incredible production design. Uh, that I, was was never equaled in the rest of the series. Like the like, it's such a huge part of of what makes that movie just unbelievably uh, exciting. And watching it, I was really thinking like I, like I think this is the this is what people fell in love with. Like this oh, is yeah. this is the movie that makes you feel like you could go there. Uh, so I I just had a blast uh, a, a blast watching it. Uh, it was a real treat uh star wars still awesome uh still fun to to watch in an audience and actually that's probably the best way to watch it these days
0: yeah i think that's about right i we should have an actual star wars episode one day uh when we talk about all the uh extended universe stuff and uh (laughs) all sorts of other extreme nerdery that we have encountered in our lives uh and been in our lives um but yeah i i could watch empire any day i uh i introduced my girlfriend to it um not too not Sorry, too long welcome. back. She actually had never seen it and uh so it was what? it was something special. Yeah. And she's a nerd. That's the thing. She's totally a dork. So, you know. I've introduced Star Wars to many people in my life who, you know, my age or maybe a little younger or maybe a little older. So, yeah, it still happens. I know it's bananas. Um so Rob, I really want to talk to you about stranger things and I really want to talk to you about Star Trek beyond, but this weekend, I need to tell you about Yawamushi Petal, also known no. as Yawapedia, yeah. Oh
1: no, no, no.
0: Amanda Cosmos, friend of the show, invited me to her house and I watched the first uh, six oh, or don't, seven I episodes. I
1: feel comfortable with this. Oh. oh, oh, Rob.
0: It's so good. It's so good. Okay, so I'm not like an anime person. All right, let's just put this out I'm there.
1: I'm not an anime person. I this have not good. watched
0: much anime in my <laughs> not, life.
1: I'm not one of those anime people you've heard about. I'm a normal.
0: <laughs> no, I just mean I, I'm not well versed. Let's just put it that way. I went through a little anime phase in high school when I dated a boy who gave me his VHS tapes of various anime things like Ah oh, My Goddess and some Sailor Moon and Revolutionary
1: some Revolutionary Girl Latena and there then was you some were gay, Cat Detective. And it really blew thing. Up in space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I mean, well, he he broke up with me after like six weeks of dating and I, I couldn't go near anime for a while because of that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, 16 year old Danielle oh, yeah. was a fragile, fragile girl. Um, anyway. And then I watched like Cowboy Bebop in college and a couple of other things. Uh, Vampire Hunter D. Okay. That's like it. That's all I've watched. So I've, I've watched like kind of the more popular stuff at times in life. So I, I'm not like super well versed, but Amanda brought me in and it is an anime about a young boy who's a dork who wants to uh, make the manga anime club at his new high school, like, the coolest club ever, but nobody wants to join it. But he is, like, this incredible cyclist who is so good at cycling because he makes a 90-kilometer trip every week to uh, Akihabara to buy, like, cool anime and manga stuff, basically. And he does this so much on a crappy old bike that it, like, builds his muscles to such a degree that he's actually like an incredible athlete. And the first few episodes are about him getting, you know, getting acquainted with actual cycling as a sport because this other cool cyclist guy, who's like, you know, he's got the shorts, he's got the little shirt. He trains 90 kilometers a day. He's so awesome. He races him because he, he notices how fast this kid is. And like, so he gets drawn into this world of the, the cycling team, the like pro ass cycling team at this school. And I'm not 100% on the characters. They're, you know, they're very over the top, but but I'm I'm starting to get some affection for some of them. Some of them are, you know, they have very, very distinct personalities and and they're fun. The sort of main kid is not the sharpest tool in the shed. So there are times you kind of want to be like, buddy, I'm glad you're a little athlete and I'm glad you're a little nerd because baby Danielle was both of these things too. But you got to kind of get with the program a little bit what the show does best is it actually introduces you to the sport of cycling in a fairly in-depth way. They talk, they give like a scientific description of what drafting is and it's a huge plot point in an early episode. They talk about like incredibly in-depth like mechanics of how bikes work and how gears work and, and what things are good for climbing and what good things are good for sprinting and i haven't gotten to it yet but apparently there's a really awesome and incredibly intense training camp arc which is probably going to get me to like literally work out while watching it that's how excited i get for for this stuff it, it, and i'm not a cyclist but i am a runner and it's it's hitting all of the things i love about endurance sports like the just sheer guts and the sheer like i feel like shit and I'm running up this hill and I got to beat this person and I don't care if I die. Like that just oh, balls to the wall kind of instinct uh, that you have to have to be a racer. And mm. my God, I love it. I I love it so much. It is, it is hitting those notes. And like, I'm actually kind of injured right now. I can't box cause I have a sprained wrist. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, this is really, really kind of uh, getting me through a little bit. Like it's making me feel like, oh yes, my competitive edge, like while I, you know i can watch this while i work team. out i'm i'm serious <laughs> i like here's the thing here's a here's a not too secret secret but like athletes are cheesy people like we are it's true like you can hear a very cheesy song that like you know a montage in in, in an 80s movie was set to and you you actually legit get excited about it and want to work a little harder like athletes are cheese balls it is the truth and this show kind of knows that and it still takes the sport very seriously and uh yeah, I'm truly enjoying it. I don't I don't care so much for the the sort of high school stuff. That that's always been my thing with like certain anime yeah. series that it like it's all set in high school and everybody's 14 to 18 and I'm kind of like that was a horrible time in my life. I don't want to think about high school ever again. <laughs> so, you know, and I get it. I know a lot of people who did not have great experiences in high school who love anime cuz it's more like this it could have been way more cool. I could have had cool friends, and whether they're magical or yeah. not, or into sports or not. But like, it's you know, restorative for some people. I think to to kind of be like, here's a more ideal version of how things could have been. Um, but for me, it's it's the cycling that's that's making me excited about it. And man, I'm excited to keep watching. I uh,
1: what's Amanda gave me
0: homework. Guy? So what's that? Sorry.
1: What's with the tongue guy?
0: Uh, he's not in the show yet. Okay. So or maybe it's a different cycling anime apparently there's a couple i don't think so i have
1: uh given given the source (laughs) given the source we're talking about here uh i think it's i think this is the one
0: okay Um, well tongue guy hasn't been in the show yet it's just been all normal humans basically thus far all human human boys and girls so far so yeah uh yaomushi pedal everyone danielle is becoming an anime fan at least for sports
1: (laughs) i I thought you were just (laughs) going to leave it there danielle's becoming an anime i I have become anime
0: (laughs) exactly Uh, i'll talk about those other things next time we have got plenty to talk about all right so i think with that it is probably time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends this episode of idle weekend was produced by chris remo and is hosted on the idle thumbs network if you are enjoying the show, please do take a, a quick second and think about rating us on iTunes and please do spread the word, share us with your friends, family, pets, you know, whomever in your life you think might enjoy us. I put this podcast on all the time for my dog. He loves it. You can totally do that. Uh, it means the world for, to us and it really helps us out. Uh, if you, if you do rate on iTunes or share it. Thank you so much for doing that. And, of course, you can learn more about the show at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at IdleWeekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends. Hooray! Awesome. Good show.